Hi, Matt Tegman here from the Elucidations Podcast. The episode you're about to hear is an interview with Brian L. Fry on the topic of plagiarism. Believe it or not, Professor Fry is critical of the way we think of and handle plagiarism, both in the educational system and in the broader culture. One basic observation he starts with is that educators typically assume two different roles in the classroom, the role of trying to help students learn and the role of the disciplinary rule enforcer. He notes that punishing students for plagiarism really only fits into the goal of enforcing rules and doesn't contribute in any meaningful way to helping students learn. If a student copies someone else's writing and turns it in as their own, they're basically just slacking off. And it isn't a teacher's main job to police slacking off. A teacher's main job, he argues, is to help as many people as possible learn as much as possible. He then extends this argument to the act of publishing a book and uses it to attack the notion of self-plagiarism. The purpose of a book is to stimulate thinking and share information. So if an author repeats something they said before, but their new book still has a big impact, then the book is doing what we want it to do, even if it overlaps with something published previously. There's more to the story, but hopefully that gives you a bit of a taste for our guest's perspective. Regardless of whether you agree with the position put forth in our conversation, you'll probably find that it gives you a lot to think about. Elucidations. I'm Matt Teichman. And I'm Stephen Chan. With us today is Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Associate Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law, and he is here to discuss why you should plagiarize this podcast. Brian L. Fry, welcome. Great to be here, Matt. As you know, I'm a huge fan of your podcast. I've been a listener for many years, and your podcast was actually the inspiration for my own podcasting and i've always thought of your approach to podcasting as the model for my own so it's a huge pleasure to be appearing on your show longtime listener first time guest wow thank you so much I was going to do this later, but let's just do it now. Let's plug your uh, awesome legal scholarship podcast. So Brian L. Fry's podcast is called Ipsa Dixit. Uh, do you want to give like a URL for that? Sure. It's, you can find it on like iTunes or whatever. It's I-P-S-E-D-I-X-I-T. It's a podcast on legal scholarship. So me and my co-hosts interview legal scholars about their work. Each episode is about half an hour long. And uh, it's a nice range of, of subject matter in a approachable format for, you know, non-lawyers. Yeah, it's an excellent program. I highly recommend it. Yeah, listen to it as soon as this uh, episode is over. And then, <laughs> and then plagiarize that episode of that Absolutely. podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. Plagiarize away. Yeah. Okay. So over the past week when I've told friends of mine that I'm about to do an episode on plagiarism, I get a lot of furrowed eyebrows, and people are kind of in disbelief that anybody could be defending plagiarism. So I think one thing to maybe get out of the way quickly so that people don't have the wrong idea is like the difference between plagiarizing a paper and just straight up cheating on a paper. So as I understand it, you draw a distinction between like if I just went to slate.com highlighted, copied and pasted an article, put the name Matt Teichman in front of it, submitted that as my final paper for a class. That's still something we would consider bad, right? 
Right. So I like to talk about plagiarism as a social norm that requires an appropriate social context. So I actually think that it's impossible for students to plagiarize, right? Because when we talk about plagiarism, what we properly mean is presenting something in a public context as if it were written by yourself rather than by someone else. And we can talk about whether or not that's okay and when it's okay to present something that was written by someone else as if you wrote it yourself. But from a student perspective, students aren't presenting anything public at all. They're just turning in work to their professor. Uh, to my mind, that can't be plagiarism, whatever it is that they do, because there's no outward looking, there's no public facing action that they're taking in the first place. So when students copy something that they haven't written themselves, I don't think it's plagiarism, it's just cheating. To the extent that there's some objection to it, the objection is to them not doing the work. The objection is not to the fact that they copied it from somewhere else. And we ought to be more circumspect about why we object to that in the first place, right? In many cases, it could be pedagogically beneficial for students to copy in some circumstances, right? Students could learn from copying and pasting and reworking materials from other sources. And if they can learn in that way, then there's no reason to stop them from doing it, right? If it's pedagogically beneficial for students to engage in what's often referred to as quote unquote patch writing, right? Copying bits and pieces from other places and suturing them together, then plagiarism norms applied to students, right? Copying norms that prohibit them from engaging in pedagogically beneficial behavior are actually hurting their learning experience and should be abandoned because the whole point of school, right? The whole point of having students in classes, the whole point of teaching is to help people learn. And anything that helps people learn is, is something that we should encourage, not something we should prohibit. So, you know, plagiarism norms applied in that context don't make any sense because it doesn't matter if students are copying from other sources. They're not doing it for a public-facing reason, right? The norms that are adopted for the purpose of ensuring that material produced for a public-facing purpose are attributed to whoever originally created the particular phrase or whatever in question just are irrelevant to students. And the whole, the only thing we should care about is whether or not the students are learning. And if students are copying things in ways that are not pedagogically effective, the appropriate response is just to just tell the student, don't do that because you're not learning when you do that. And instead, what do we do for the students, quote unquote, own benefit? We fucking kick them out, right? We expel them. We pillory them. We treat them as if they've engaged in like some sort of horrible behavior. And I just find that so appalling. I mean, I, why? Why would we do that? Like, is it really so terrible? So they did something they're not supposed to do. So what? The only reason they're in school in the first place is to learn something. If the problem is that they're not learning something, well, just tell them. Just tell them you're not learning when you do that. Do this other thing that's going to help you learn more. So do you think that we should draw any kind of distinction, for example, between a student 
who does what I just described, right? I just basically copy and paste an article from Slate and turn it in as my own. And a student who just doesn't turn anything in. Um, or is it basically kind of the same? Because, like, you know, well, it's going to negatively affect your grade because you're not learning anything. But we shouldn't treat those differently from kind of like a moral perspective where we feel that the student who did the first thing did something more wrong than the second student. No, I mean, I think the student who did the first thing actually learned more because the student who copied something from Slate and turned it in as their own paper had to at least do the pedagogical work of identifying what would count as a meaningful response to the question at hand. And honestly, if what they copied from Slate was an appropriate response to the prompt offered by the professor, as far as I'm concerned, who cares, right? I mean, why should they have to reinvent the wheel? If if they copied an article that answered the question, then they got it, right? They understood and responded appropriately to the question, who cares if it was copied? The goal is for the student to learn something, not for them to generate some random new material. And if the professor is mad, they should be mad at themselves if they gave a response that could be appropriately answered by just copying something from somewhere else. Then that's on them, man. Fuck you. Just to vary the examples a little bit, because I think this is sometimes helpful. What if another student had written a paper from scratch in this imaginary class and I just copied the file? I don't know. I got access to the computer somehow. I copied the file. I put my name in front of it. Wouldn't there be some kind of unfairness there? Well, okay, like, so look, again, the main problem, as I see it, is that the reason we have students in school in the first place is we want them to learn something. So if they're doing things that don't include learning, we need to tell them, don't do it this way because you're not learning when you do it that way, right? You need to do it this other way in order to learn how to do it yourself, the pedagogical goal is for you to learn how to do whatever skill it is we're trying to teach you. And if you don't practice the skill, you won't learn it, right? But that's not like a moral failing thing. It's just saying to the student, hey, man, try a little harder. Do it the hard way in order to get to the place where we want to get you. But that's not what we do when we do plagiarism, right? What we do when we do plagiarism is we punish people. We say, we're going to kick you out of school for your own good. That's fucked up, man. Like, that's not helping anybody. Who cares if the student copied something? It doesn't matter. There's no moral failing there. It's not a sin in my mind. It's just they didn't learn something. And if the problem is that they're not learning something, the solution is to help them learn something. The solution is not to punish them. There's no reason to punish people for that. It doesn't accomplish any goal. Whatsoever. Now, of course, we got a second order thing, which is that in a lot of school, we go about ranking students, right? But ranking isn't about learning, right? We don't rank students to help them learn something. We don't rank students for their own benefit. We rank students for fucking bosses, man. Ranking is for employers. It's not for students. Ranking is what schools do when they're sucking up the capitalists. <laughs> No, my friend, I, I like to describe myself. I'm a, I'm a capitalist who doesn't believe in property rights. Yeah, it's interesting. It seems like underlying the worry you have about the social conventions surrounding plagiarism 
at least in the student case, and we can broaden it to other stuff too, like in the public arena, mm. but at least in the student case, it seems like it's underpinned by just sort of a different idea of what the purpose of education is. It seems like maybe part of the idea is that we're on the wrong track incorporating all this punitive stuff into the educational process because that's not really what it's about. What it's really about is a broader contribution to the community mm. where everybody has the opportunity to learn as much as they can. And maybe like, you know, introducing all the sort of like discipline and punishment and so forth into that is like corrupting the purpose of education. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm crazy, but like I became a law professor because I wanted to fucking teach students. I wanted to help people learn something. And that's all I care about, right? If I had to be a cop, I wouldn't want to be a professor in the first place, right? I don't take attendance. You want to come? You don't want to come? I don't fucking care, man. Do your thing, right? You want to pay attention? You don't want to pay attention? I don't fucking care, right? Do your thing. Do it your way. I'm here if you need me. Right? I got to give grades at the end of the semester and it like it hurts my heart every time that I got to put them on a curve, right? Because it's stupid. I'm doing the curve for the bosses. I'm doing the yeah. I'm doing the curve for the employers. I'm not doing it for my students. I mean, I'd be happy to give students grade if it was just saying, "Hey man, like you need to work a little harder to understand the material better." Right? If that's what the purpose of grades was, Fine, I would do it. I would tell them, like, hey, you know, this is like a C because you need to think a little bit hard. You got to understand it better. This is an A because you got it. You understood what it was we were trying to learn. But that's all I care about, man. I mean, for me, the outcome is the student's learning. That's it. And I think that is, certainly personally, that is one of the main things I use grades for because I think I, there was a time in which I returned papers with no grades. And I felt like there was a part of the feedback that was missing that way. Like I would uh, give somebody their paperback and I would go into all the issues the paper had before giving it back. But there were cases where there wasn't any way to convey like sort of quantitatively as it were, like how much work I wanted them to do on the next assignment mm. other than with this like kind of numeric score. Because especially with all sorts of norms of politeness, like you could be really critical of all aspects of a paper, but generally think it's really good or vice versa, right? You could like be really polite in your criticism of a paper, but think it needs a lot of work. And sometimes like a number is the best way to send that message. Mm. Um, but I, I think I agree that like the best use of grades for a teacher is to just give the students extra information about what you want them to do. Yeah. 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 I mean, I just don't like the idea that what I'm doing is in service of sort of ordinarily ranking students for the benefit of employers. Because the students who happen to do well on some stupid exam aren't necessarily the students who are actually going to be good at doing the work we're ostensibly training them for. I mean, I do try to like structure my exams in such a way that the students are doing what they would do in the real world, right? So to the extent that I'm ranking them, I'm ranking them on something that at least approximates what a real lawyer would do. Because I mean, I teach in a law school. We're like a professional school. Really, we're training people to be lawyers, right? So if my students are going to graduate and become lawyers, okay, fine. So, you know, I'll ask you to do something that's kind of like what a lawyer would do. And, you know, frankly, unfortunately, I think a lot of law school classes are not structured in that way. And students are ranked on the basis of things that have nothing to do <laughs> with what actual lawyers do. But regardless, I mean, you know, 
even what I do is not a great metric for lawyering capacity. I'm just trying to sort of test them on one subset of the skills that lawyers are actually expected to exercise. You know, ask them to write research memos, basically, as exams. But, you know, lawyers do a lot of different things, and a lot of different things make for a good lawyer. And I have no idea which students are going to be good lawyers, right? My only job is to help each one of my students become the best lawyer or whatever that that student is going to be. And anything that distracts from that, for me, is just a waste of time and not worth it. Like, who cares? So in your paper, plagiarism is not a crime. Basically, you are testing the considerations for copyright law and see whether those considerations work on the plagiarism norms. So could you say more on why the copyright law is analogous to current plagiarism norms? Right, yeah. So a lot of my scholarship is focused on copyright, you know, sort of and and intellectual, quote-unquote, intellectual property, as it were. And I like to think about plagiarism norms in the context of copyright because, A, for one thing, they're often conflated, right? I mean, it's really common for people to talk about copyright infringement and plagiarism as if they're the same thing. But the reality is that they're not at all. Right? And we have kind of a language or kind of a conceptual system of justification for why we have copyright law in the first place. And effectively, the kind of consequentialist story we tell is that we created copyright law in order to encourage authors to produce works of authorship, right? I mean, it's like, you know, quote unquote. Nobody but a blockhead ever wrote except for money, which is, of course, hilarious because, of you know, Boswell wrote for things other than money himself all the time. But, but you know, the idea is that we give people a limited set of property rights in the works that they create in order to encourage them to produce the works in the first place. And we, you know, through that limited monopoly, people can internalize some of the positive externalities associated with the works of authorship they generate, right? And plagiarism is just another, at least in theory, is just another version of the same thing. It's just another right associated with literary ownership that isn't as fulsomely protected as co- by copyright as some authors would like it to be, right? So there's a lot of overlap, but there's a certain amount of disjoint between copyright and plagiarism, right? So for one thing, copyright is limited in term. So, you know, if you own a copyright in a work of authorship, eventually, well, it just takes a long fucking time, but I mean, eventually the copyright will end, right? Today, the copyright in a work of authorship is typically life of the author plus 70 years, right? So 70 years after the author dies, the work is in the public domain and anyone can use it in any way they want to, including republishing it with their name on it, right? So if I wanted to publish, you know, Huckleberry Finn by Brian Fry, I could totally do that, right? That's not a copyright infringement. Huckleberry Finn's in the public domain. I can publish Huckleberry Finn by Brian Fry and no one can say boo to me about it, at least from a copyright law perspective. In addition, copyright law only protects particular works of authorship. It doesn't protect ideas. 
So if I want to write a work that uses somebody else's idea and not credit it to them, copyright law says that's fine, I'm allowed to do that because copyright doesn't protect ideas, it only protects particular expressions. Of course, authors don't like that because they want to own more. Authors, just like everyone else, are capitalists. Authors want to own the kinds of capital that they produce. And what do authors produce? Authors produce works of authorship and authors produce ideas. And so they're not happy with copyright because it's not broad enough for them. They want to own the background ideas. They want to ensure that protection lasts longer than the copyright term. And that's what plagiarism norms do, right? Plagiarism norms expand the scope of literary ownership to areas that copyright doesn't cover. You know, plagiarism norms are for capitalists. That's all they are. It's just a particular kind of capitalist. So I think that analysis is interesting. It seems that plagiarism norms are for the benefit of the authors of the ideas or writings. But I think at least currently, although it's debatable, self-plagiarism is a thing. The idea is that you cite your own ideas without attribution. What's your take on that? I mean, it's fucking stupid, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is there any anything stupider than the idea that we should object to somebody quote unquote self plagiarizing? I mean, it just doesn't even make any sense, right? All we legitimately care about is producing new information, right? So, if you can advance. A paper, you can advance an argument by just lifting something from somewhere else and sticking it in. Why the fuck not? Nobody cares if it advances the argument. It's ridiculous to think that there's some reason you should, you know, rewrite sentences or move things around to make it like marginally. Who cares? What's the point of engaging in that kind of behavior? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It's purely, it's, it's the work itself is pure convention in the first place, and there's no reason to adopt an inefficient convention. If quote-unquote self-plagiarism, meaning copying something you did in the past and using it in something new, helps you get to the point faster, we should encourage that. That's a good thing, right? Why waste your time reinventing the wheel? It's stupid. One example that jumps to mind here is often the first version of a philosophy book will be like this massive tome and not that many people will read it because who wants to sit down and read a thousand page book and then what the philosopher will do is be like okay I get it I, we have finite lives you know I'm going to come up with a shorter reader's digest version of my own book so one case of this would be Robert Brandom's book Making It Explicit which came out in 94 and then six years later he came out with the shorter version making basically the same argument called Articulating Reasons and if you look at these two books there's like a pretty substantial overlap in just at the sentence level. Like a lot of the just straight up paragraphs and sentences and articulating reasons are just there in making it explicit. That seems like maybe a helpful case to illustrate what you were just saying. Like, yeah, the whole purpose of this book is to convey the same idea in a shorter amount of space. How does it impede that project if the sentences overlap? It's not like it makes the shorter version of the book get the idea across better if all the words are now changed. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, I mean... Look, to my mind, everything we're doing is about communicating information to people, right? The goal of what we're doing is 
helping people learn something, right? Giving people information that they want. That's what we say we have copyright for. And as far as I'm concerned, if plagiarism norms are justified, they got to be justified on the same consequentialist grounds. In other words, you got to show how it makes things better. And if it don't make things better, it's fucking wrong. Don't do it. So as far as I'm concerned, if the reader doesn't care, neither should anyone else. From the reader's perspective, if this is a positive development, if this is helping the reader get what the reader wants, great. And to the extent that plagiarism norms make it harder or less efficient to produce things that are good for readers, plagiarism norms are wrong. One really interesting idea that's come up in your work is that although our social conventions about how you shouldn't plagiarize, they're often treated as just being self-evidently in the service of justice. You've done a little bit of like archaeology on the practice and have uncovered uh, what you take to be a kind of more sinister motivation for plagiarism norms. So what is that more sinister motivation? Right. So, I mean, look, as I see it, plagiarism norms are just cartel norms, right? They're a way of a particular social group policing the good it produces in a way that in the aggregate benefits the cartel members, the insiders to that group. So from author's perspective, you know, depending on what kind of category of author you're talking about, and of course, different authorial groups have different plagiarism norms, like different kinds of ownership and policing are beneficial. And in particular, when it comes to scholars, right? For scholars, like ownership of ideas is what they care about more than anything else. And so plagiarism norms are a way, in academic plagiarism norms, are a way for scholars to police ownership of ideas in a way that copyright doesn't allow them to do, right? Copyright says you can't own ideas. Fucking academics want to own ideas, right? I was the first one to say whatever stupid ass thing I said, right? I want to own the idea that I had. I don't want other people to do it without attributing it to me because, you know, the currency, the realm is attribution and plagiarism norms are a way for academics to force other people to give them attribution, even though the law says they don't have to. That's just a cartel norm. That's just academics saying, I want to own something. I want property. Well, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in property. The point of this is not to benefit me. It's to benefit everyone. And forcing people to attribute is not beneficial. I mean, there's no, there's no reason not to attribute, right? If you want to attribute something because you think it's good for the reader to know where the idea came from, great, right? But that's not what plagiarism is about. Plagiarism norms aren't about saying you should attribute when it would benefit the reader. Plagiarism norms are about saying you have to attribute whether or not you want to. Even if you think the original author of this idea is an asshole and a jerk and people shouldn't read what they did, you have to attribute it anyway just because they own it. They were the first ones to say it. They own it. You're obligated to refer to them. So if I want to talk about the tragedy of the commons, I got to refer to the racist dude who came up with the idea rather than just saying this is an idea that's out there, right? Going back to the original source, why would you want to do that? The original paper is shit. 
There's plenty of other good stuff since then addressing the same idea. And you can explain the idea yourself without having to refer your reader back to the racist asshole who came up with the idea. So why should plagiarism norms say, hey, you got to credit the racist asshole? Fuck him, man. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to explain it my way. I'm going to remember my readers what they need to understand the ideas. And they don't need anything else, right? If the reader doesn't care, I don't care either. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that the justification for this type of convention is often in terms of we got to write by the author. I've never heard anybody say, oh, make sure to cite XYZ to help the readers. You can just hear it in the way we talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got a, I got a new paper I'm working on. It's called Plagiarize This Paper, right? Thank and- you, Abby Hoffman. <laughs> That's right. Well, Abby Hoffman didn't go nearly far enough, right? Because Abby Hoffman wrote Steal This Book. But what do you think comes in the flyleaf of the book is copyright fucking Abby Hoffman. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? So, I, you know, on my, on, my, on my scholarship pays, I explicitly authorize anybody who wants. Everything I write is in public domain. And I explicitly authorize anyone who wants to to plagiarize me. Right? I say plagiarism permitted. The question is, can I do that? Am I allowed to permit plagiarism of my work, right? If it's a property right, if it belongs to me, I ought to be allowed to. But the reality is everyone knows that I can't authorize plagiarism. Why is that? Because it's not a property norm. It's a cartel norm. It's the quote unquote author cartel telling people this is permitted behavior this is not permitted behavior. And, you know, the thing I like to say is like, you know, plagiarism is like the ultimate academic crime. But what does everyone hate even worse than a plagiarist? They hate the person who questions the legitimacy of the norm, right? It makes people so mad when I say plagiarism norms are just rent-seeking. And that's all they are. It's pure academic leechiness. It's academics wanting to own something they're not allowed to own and figuring out how to do it by hook or by crook. It's like the academic version of Omer Ta. Right. Yeah. It's something like, um, at least my take on it would be is, you know, people want props, you know, um, let's just say the academic professions that I'm familiar with put a lot of stock in, uh, reputation and acknowledgement. Um, and in many cases that can be like one of the main things, of course, besides advancing the field and all that stuff, one of the main things a lot of academics are after is, you know, essentially props. Yeah. They want, people want prestige, right? Literally, plagiarism is about forcing other people to recognize you. Plagiarism norms are a way that academics and other fields of creative endeavor have of forcing people to honor whoever the producer of a particular idea or work is. And my point is, why should we care about that? Why should I care about cartel norms? Why should I care about the ability of the academic cartel to enforce the kinds of internal obligations that it wants to have? Why should I care about the no snitching rule, right? I mean, that's all it is. It's just a way of punishing people who aren't observing the internal but illegitimate, to my mind, rules of 
a particular society, right? I don't care about what you, I mean, like you want things, that's nice, so what? Your preferences, academics' preferences, what I want to own, that doesn't matter. That's just saying I want something because it benefits me personally, not because it benefits the world, it benefits readers. And all I care about is the people, the goal of academia is and should be to produce ideas, to produce information that benefits the world as a whole, not to support the internal interests of of academics. And I, I think there's one really good example that kind of highlights why I think this is the right way to look at what plagiarism norms are trying to accomplish. And that is like different norms in different circumstances, but at least when it comes to authors, broadly speaking, we say, Plagiarism is like the ultimate sin, right? You're not allowed to play. You're not allowed to misattribute a work of authorship. And yet, ghostwriting, right? Ghostwriting's okay, right? Apparently, ghostwriting's not a problem. Ghostwriting is literally fucking plagiarism. It is literally plagiarism. It's one person producing a work of authorship and putting somebody else's name on it. And everyone's like, oh, well, I don't really like it, but it's okay. Well, why is it okay? Because of fucking benefits authors. The author cartel, as it were, kind of gives a pass to ghostwriting, even though it violates otherwise enforced cartel norms, because it benefits the cartel. It's economically beneficial for authors to be able to forego attribution in certain circumstances when the person they're, you know, when the person they're foregoing it for is willing to pay for it. So the alleged author of a ghostwritten work pays a premium to be the ghostwriter as opposed to the subject of the work. And so authors are okay with that. They're just bargaining for authorship as if it were any other kind of property right. Well, that just says to me, this is even, I mean, it kind of highlights the illegitimacy, right? This is, it's just, it's just pure rent-seeking. That's all it is. One case I think that's interesting that jumps to mind is, at least in my experience of math classes at the university level, attribution practices are a lot looser. So it's true that if you look at a journal, people try to be careful about citing every result they use in their latest paper. But especially in math classes and in math textbooks, it's quite common to just see, here's a proof of this theorem you know, with no acknowledgement of the historical background of the proof. It's like you'd have to do further research to figure out where this proof came from. The author didn't come up with it, or maybe sometimes the author did come up with it, but you can't tell from the book. And also, like, you know, just a lot of these things get produced sort of through back channels, through conversations. I was talking to somebody else, and they, they sketched a proof to me, and I learned it from them, but who knows where it came from? We didn't talk about that. We were just talking about the math. It makes me wonder whether, you know, math is an interesting model for the way you'd like to see things go uh, at least in the academy. Yeah, well, so I don't know a whole lot or really anything about math scholarship or the social norms of mathematicians, but I think what it illustrates to me most likely is that different social groups adopt different social norms around plagiarism depending on what that group quote-unquote needs in order to advance its internal goals. And 
it seems that math has ways other than plagiarism norms of advancing prestige goals, you know, sorting goals within the profession itself, right? And and so my only point is that I think we should talk about attribution in a way that is consequentialist and not moral. Because plagiarism norms are fundamentally conceptualized as deontological, right? As moral norms about what it's okay and not okay to do. And my point is like, like we should be thinking about goals. We should be asking what we want to accomplish. And if plagiarism norms are helping us accomplish goals, then we should enforce them for that reason. And if plagiarism norms are not helping us accomplish goals, then we should abandon them for that reason. Right? So I'm not saying you shouldn't cite things. I'm not saying you shouldn't attribute things. I mean, I'm all in favor of citation, attributation, etc. Right? I do it myself all the time. All I'm saying is that you should attribute things because it's good for your reader, because your reader wants to know about them. You shouldn't attribute things because you're forced to. We shouldn't have an obligation. We shouldn't treat it like a property right. Attribution is not something that the author of the original work is entitled to. Attribution is something you should do when it's good for the person who's reading the work that you're creating. And if it's not necessary, don't bother. Brian L. Fry, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, once more, I want to plug Brian's podcast, Ipsy Dixit. I highly recommend that everybody check it out after they're done listening to this. Cool. Play Drives Away. If you have any questions about today's episode, give us a holler on Twitter at at elucidationspod. And as always, you can post a comment to our blog at lucian, that's L-U-C-I-A-N, lucian.uchicago.edu, slash blogs, slash elucidations. On the blog, you can also explore our full back catalog of previous episodes. Thanks again for listening. (music) 